Hello and welcome back to Curiously Polar. My name is Chris Marquardt and with me, as usual, is Henry. Henry, good morning. Good morning. How are you, Chris? I'm doing okay. <clears throat> Slightly sniffly, but that is just a cold. <laughs> so don't, don't, nothing to worry about. Um, yeah, we are recording this just a day before release. So we are pretty current on this episode and... Uh, Yeah, we want, we want to we want to start with two things um, besides the actual topic of this episode. The first one is a huge big thank you, especially to Katie who um, who who took us up on the donation thing. We started this last week because we we talked about it. We are uh, both we both kind of depend on the whole travel thing and the whole. Um, taking people to amazing special places thing which is not going to happen for quite a while so um we opened a donation account that you can donate to it's a sepa account so it's a it's a it's a in the european eurozone account so if you're in europe it's easy to donate but if you're not in europe it's also easy to donate because we have a link where you can uh, just donate via your credit card so Uh, big thanks to Katie, first one to take us up on that. Um, we really appreciate your support. And everyone else, we have a link to that way to support us in the show notes. So thank you very much. It's going to help us keep the servers going. It's going to help us um, <laughs> get food on our tables and just the basic bare necessities, right? So, yeah, thanks very much for that. And uh, then there's a piece of news because we are still in the middle of the corona crisis. And um, it's <clears throat> it's pretty much everywhere now, right? I mean, the Antarctic was the continent that was very proud of not having any infected people. And that is still the case, right, Henry? It is still the case, indeed. But we have some uh, positive news to share. Svalbard, for example, still is without a single um, COVID corona case. And Greenland has managed to um, get rid of all the corona cases. So all those 11 um, cases they had in the country, they actually um, developed very, very good. And by now, Greenland is the only territory outside of Antarctica without A corona case. That is good news. That's really good news. Yes. And then we have one more news um, from Antarctica. The last uh, cruise ship, expedition cruise ship that um, went for Antarctica and uh, was recently in the news, Greg Mortimer, um, was able to disembark the vast majority of their uh, passengers, 112 They could um, leave in Montevideo and uh, Uruguay and uh, get flown to Australia, to Melbourne, where they got uh, into a 14-day quarantine in a hospital, uh, in a hotel. And um, the 16 New Zealanders will be transferred to New Zealand as well. And then there are still a few passengers left and they still are on board, um, as far as I know. So here comes a shout out to those. Um, American and Europeans on board. Um, yeah, just keep your hands up high. A few more dice for the quarantine before being able to board regular flights to their homes. And you saying that that is the last 
ship from Antarctica means there's since no other ships have started. It's uh, pretty much the 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 expeditions have pretty much stopped for now. Yeah, we were a bit surprised when the Greg Mortimer on the fifteenth of March um, embarked on their last um, trip on the current trip to South Georgia and um, Antarctica. Um, that was a point when all the other ships already just cancelled. When did the, they start? When did the trip start? Do you have the date? 15th of March. The 15th of March, yeah. That's pretty late, yes. Yeah, that was when all the other operators already cancelled um, the, the future trips um, due to obvious reasons and travel restrictions mainly. And um, yeah, they needed to um, cancel the trip halfway through and just returned to Australia where they got uh, rejected and they needed to go to um, Montevideo to Uruguay and Uruguay refused to get them on shore as well but um, managed finally to get this uh, humanitarian corridor, uh, corridor with um, ambulances and buses to the international airport of Montevideo. That's just crazy. Um, at least, at Super least crazy. they had enough supplies on board to keep people, um, to feed people, and have enough water for a longer time because the they had to cut the trip short. So they had the they had the, some some time buffer there on the ship. Yeah, I think it used to be like a it was planned as a three week trip, something like that. So they had a lot of um, provisions on board. That's not the the problem there, but um, they didn't really manage to to go on that trip. Um, at all so they, they returned halfway through hmm okay so now at this point there is no expeditions anywhere pretty much as far as i know no it's it's quite funny when you could go on to um certain websites or apps like um, marine traffic oh yeah and you go to to certain places like for example las palmas where you have a big shipyard um then you see a huge number of uh, cruise ships at anchor or in the yard, on dock, on the pier. Um, same goes for Portugal, for um, the Netherlands, where you have a oh, couple of ships. I've just opened marine, traffic.com and it's, yeah, those ships are mostly at the shores right now. I mean, it's very crowded along the shores at this point. Yeah, in marine traffic, you look for the blue ones. For That's the... The um, leisure ships, the cruise ships, mainly. Uh, apparently, a few still out there, but maybe they're there they, are a f a maybe few they're out. just moving. I've, maybe maybe they're just moving it. I've just seen that um, Ponon, for example, um, is just operating. I'm not sure if they're operating a cruise or if they're just um, repositioning ships, but they're just having um, in French Polynesia. They have a ship operating there stuff like that but uh, most of the vessels are in port at anchor yeah las palmas is one of the big big ports or um, big places where uh, ships are yeah just on um yeah at anchor and just wait for for news you have the big fleet of um of tui germany <laughs> the mineship um fleet mineship one two three they're all at anchor at Las Palmas, and you have the um, yeah expedition fleet of Ocean Adventure, um, Ocean Diamond. Ocean Diamond disembarked their crew uh, yesterday, so that's um, pretty amazing too to 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 know that the crew we worked with um, yeah the whole winter that they would be able to 
to uh, go home as well. Uh, so yeah, just look a little bit around, play a little bit with um, those tools, and just um, yeah, get a nice idea where all those ships are right now. Because the oceans actually are surprisingly clear. As as are the skies. I just yesterday read the news that over Europe, um, the passenger air traffic has dropped by ninety eight percent. Yeah. So we saw we saw actually we went on a walk, a little Easter walk yesterday because the weather was so nice and we were out on in out in the fields where no one else was, and. I heard the noise of an airplane. I looked up and there was this one single airplane in the sky. And it was a noteworthy event because we hadn't heard an airplane in like several days before that. But this is also very interesting when you when you um, consider how much noise we, we used to tolerate, which, yes. are, which is part of our lives. And now you recognize how quiet it can be, even in an urban environment. Mm-hmm. And... I'm not really sure if we will accept going back to those times when we just surrounded by 24 hours of noise and 24 hours of emissions and pollution. And uh, that's something that boggles my mind right now is what this um, virus, this pandemic, um, actually does to, to our environment, to, to us, to, to our lifestyle. And that's pretty um, interesting to focus on right now as well. All right. So we hope everyone who's listening is doing well and uh just follow the follow the suggestions. Don't touch your face, wash your hands, stay away from people. Um it's not always nice, but I think it's necessary. We just had an Easter family FaceTime call, like several parties, uh my mother, my sister, my father, uh my brother being all like several windows of people and it went it went well it was good it was a good thing to meet even virtually so yeah let's say an amazing easter barbecue in the garden with um the family which is gathered in the house anyhow yeah so we see each other every day and um just had a nice little barbecue and uh yeah just enjoyed some warm weather we had beautiful sunshine here and uh, just yeah it's nice to to be outside and to have the family around and yeah just spend a nice evening together really beautiful so let's dive into what uh what you brought us for this episode the title is deception island so what is deception island where is it and why is it worth talking about so deception island is an island in antarctica so um, i think we are getting closely to an end with our Antarctic topics for a moment and um, going further north again. But um, I really want to talk about this island because it is one of the few places that brings together the two things I'm really passionate about. And that is, Chris? Volcanoes and ice. Exactly. So Deception <laughs> Island is an active volcano. Okay, and, and then and then last but not least, of course, I also want to know where it gets where it's got its wonderful name from. <laughs> exactly. Um yeah, it's an active volcano, has um beautiful glaciers on top, and it is formed like a bowl. It's a caldera. And you actually can sail into the caldera. It's uh it's a sheltered port. 
Port Forster, and it's just magnificent. It's really beautiful. It's a, a terrific experience to sail through Neptune's Bellows, which is the little tiny opening in the south. Nep- Neptune's Bellows. Yeah. It's in the southeast of, of the island. Oh, and um, okay. So interesting. And you can, name. can sail through there. The opening itself is not too wide. But the um, exciting thing, at least for us as passengers, not so much as, uh, as for the captains, is that in the middle of Neptune's bellows is a rock called Raven's Rock. And this rock is only two and a half meters below the water in the middle of the channel. For our medieval North American uh, listeners, it's 8.2 feet. And this is the kind of the rock you try to avoid. So you try to stay between the rock and um, the uh, the big uh, face of the cliff, which is not too too wide. So um, that's really beautiful. It reminds me a lot on the Westman Islands when you sail into uh, Haimea and Westmanea. That's just really, really pretty. Um, a tough wall. Really, really beautiful. So how many ships have sunk there because of that rock? <laughs> That's a very good question. I think two, um, I recall two ships that sunk there. And is that why or it's called Deception it's Island? Because it's deceiving and you run into the rock with your ship? No, Deception Island uh, actually got its name from the, um, the, the from the whalers. And they actually, I think it was Nathaniel Palmer, the, the American um, whaler who came with his ship Hero in, I think it was 1819, 1820, something like that. And he actually approached that island and thought it's a solid big island. And then he circumnavigated it, found that opening and sailed into it and found a hollow island, which is not an island, but a ring. And he thought that was a deceptive, uh, yeah, assumption. So he just named it Deception Island. Mm, that easy, okay. Since then, this name appears. And what's really interesting, the very first sea chart of any Antarctic territory was made in uh, Deception Island or for, off Deception Island. Hmm, and that's okay. pretty new, pretty, uh, yeah, neat. Uh, back in the days when the whaling and the sealing were, were the, the major industry down there, those whaling and sealing companies, of course, haven't published their their business secrets. So the whaling territories, the um, geography, topography, and all that stuff um, that belong to the business secrets of a company because that was their local advantage, of course. Mm-hmm. Their local knowledge, local advantage. We have a similar development in the north. Um, when we talk about the exploration of the Northwest Passage, for example, the whalers and sealers, they knew um, certain parts of the Northwest Passage far before the official expeditions, but they didn't share it because it was their business secret. Their business model was based on that certain local knowledge. And uh, similar things happened in the south as well. So Deception Island is um, part of a group of islands called South Shetland Islands, and it's the safest harbor in Antarctica. So Port Forster, pretty nice sheltered. It um, has um, a depth 
of roughly 200 meters within oh. the within the um, caldera and um, is sheltered pretty much all around has beautiful um, mountains up to 500 540 meters tall no 400 I think the highest is more than 400 meters tall but um, yeah they shelter the interior of deception island it's quite interesting when we sail into deception island and we land usually in the first small bay when you come into deception island on the right side you have a little bay called whalers bay which of course as the name suggested was uh, used for whaling and it's about a kilometer in in diameter and we land there people go ashore and then they come to you and just ask where is actually the volcano <laughs> you just I'm, I'm looking okay i'm looking at it fr on on the map from the top and uh i guess it is the volcano right <laughs> the, the whole island is the volcano That's exactly. The thing. exactly you can you can kind of tell it's it's a ring pretty much and if you know anything about volcanoes, that's pretty much what a volcano looks like. <laughs> <laughs> the the thing that's really hard to comprehend is is the size. Yes. So we are talking um, are at um, Deception Island of a ring with a diameter of 15 kilometers. But that's only the stuff you see above the sea level. Below sea level, this mountain actually protrudes even longer and has a um, diameter of 30 kilometers on its base 30 kilometers that's amazing. it's roughly 17 miles so that's huge so that's a shield volcano it has a huge diameter but is not so tall so it's it, it's not having steep cliffs rather um slow slopes with a very um soft angle but yeah, when you sail in, you, you you don't really comprehend that. And when you then um, anchor at Whalers Bay and you have the the people in that tiny little bay ashore, it's really difficult to, to explain them all what you see here, all the rocks you see, all the mountains you see are part of that volcano. But that volcano not only has this main caldera where you have the, uh, the, the main crater, which used to be the main active um, vent you have a lot of smaller craters uh, small vents and you have over 30 of those active vents um, all over the rim of the caldera so everywhere on those mountains you have active uh, craters and in fact whalers bay is a crater on its own then you have a little lake next to whalers bay, bay called a crona lake then you have pendulum cove then you have telephone bay you have um so-called crater lake fumarole bay all of those are vents on their own so that's actually spots where volcanic activity appeared on the surface and that's not always like we imagine volcanic activity when we talk as normal people about volcanic activity then we see lava fountains coming out of a of a mountain that's a little bit different when you have a volcano that's covered with ice usually you only see lava in those occasions very rarely. But what you see is meltwater floods, those flood streams coming down, very destructive, that stuff we see in Iceland very often. 
What you see in Deception Island though is not so much the meltwater. It's because the ice on top of those uh, vents, on top of the mountain, on top of that volcano, is it contains a lot of sediments. So it's actually creating rather a mudslide than um, meltwater drainings. And those mudslides actually destroyed a British station, British research station, on the last yeah the the last serious um eruption and that's um pretty interesting because that research station was erected to research the activity of that volcano and somehow that didn't really work out because the next summer that research station got destroyed by the volcano by the volcano oops <laughs> <laughs> See, the um, station was um, erected in 67, then in 69 or 68 was the big eruption that actually destroyed that station by a mudslide. Hmm. So, in quotes, just a mudslide. So, the volcano destroying it doesn't mean it was... Uh Hot lava swiping it away. No, exactly. Um, here, in that case, we actually have more um, secondary effects like mudslides. Mm. Oh, it's, or, it's, it's still devastating. Yeah, it's pretty much. It, it's pretty amazing when you when you're at the shore at Whalers Bay, for example. You have a heat source underneath that bay, which is sometimes strong enough that the cold ocean water just vaporizes on the beach. So really? you actually have quite steam rising from that beach, especially in the early season. And that's pretty intense when you actually can explain the activity of that volcano to the guests and they see actually what you're talking about. Hmm. It's a little bit difficult when you come on a day when there is no activity at all. We We had one occasion where we had a landing where the krill literally got cooked in front of you and the beach was turning orange red from the cooked krill that got washed ashore whoa that was really intense <laughs> and um a lot of seabirds just feeding on that krill that, 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 um, would, that would have been my next question what does that uh, how does that influence the the flora and the fauna the fauna well how does that uh, does it influence like algae growth and growth of plants and 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 the sea life and everything? It's um, not so much plants on that island. Uh, in Telephone Bay, um, we have some vegetation in the valleys. Fumarole Bay, I've seen some vegetation. Whalers Bay is very little uh, vegetated though. Um, wildlife is adopting very quickly to that. So, in fact, we have one of the largest Gen 2 penguin colonies on Deception Island, and seabirds are just uh, scavenging on um, on opportunities. So if, if the conditions within the caldera are good enough, then they're just, uh, just yeah, just using it. But um, in general, the caldera is not only shelter for ships, it's also providing shelter for um, marine life as well. So you actually see 
quite a variety of seals very often hauling out on the rocks of the caldera. Uh, talking about crab eater seals and um, sometimes leopard seals and um, yeah, numerous birds feeding on on the uh, on the krill. That's interesting. Cooked krill. Hmm. It's like a big boiling pot then sometimes. Indeed, it is sometimes, yeah. And we have actually some some uh, signs of activity. So we're talking about an active volcano. So there, there is always the possibility of activity um, increasing and um, building up some yeah, actual activity, some, some volcanic eruption. But um, there is an ongoing discussion within the guide community that there are signs of increasing activity, like, for example, the geothermal activity on the beach in Whalers Bay is increasing. So you actually can see uh, much more frequent those events uh, where you see cooked krill on the beach and that kind of uh, stuff than it used to be in, in, in previous years. But uh, from a scientific perspective, we don't really have um, research data that underlines that. It's not that we can say with certainty that Deception Island is building up activity, but on the same page we have to be very careful there because the I'm, I'm not really sure how much the coverage of those research stations um, is focusing on the volcanic activity in general so we have still um, a, a Spanish research station and I think a Shalinian research station on uh, Deception Island which are still running or still active so that's actually, um, yeah, existing research, but I'm not sure how much they are really focusing on the activity itself. As we've seen on the last activity in the, um, in the 60s, in that series in the late 60s, 70s, where the activity wasn't forecasted by mm. The scientists who actually observed and monitored that volcano. How good are we at forecasting like big eruptions? I mean, there, there are there are certainly things that uh, I would expect, like a volcano building up pressure means it's plugged up, not much is coming out, as opposed to uh, a volcano being able to let off steam, so to speak, um, all the time, and therefore the danger might be lower to to uh for, for an eruption so how do we how, how can we tell anyway well i would like to put it in, into words um, um an icelandic volcanologist um just taught me once science is pretty good in a very long-term forecast speaking about thousands of years mm -hmm. and in a very short-term forecast like in the next two weeks but everything in between, the midterm, is still a big black box. We don't really know enough about the crust, the layers of, of uh, our planet, the volcanic systems themselves. We have a lot of theories there, and we have some recognized theories which um, our science is based upon. But in fact, we don't know much about that to do exact forecasts 
However, when we have a good monitoring system, as we do have in Iceland, for example, then you have different measurements to analyze if activity is building up. So in general, a volcano has a magma chamber within the crust of the Earth. So that's um, a hollow space that's usually empty. But if magma intrudes from the liquid molten bedrock layer underneath the crust, so the molten bedrock is going into that magma chamber, the magma chamber fills up. And that's a little bit like a balloon filled with water. If you fill in water into a balloon, the balloon expands. And the same happens to the magma chamber. When the magma goes in, the bedrock just expands. And you can see that on satellite pictures. You can measure if the surroundings of a volcano at its base is rising up, if it's lifted up. And if that's happening, then you you can see actually that magma is intruding into the magma chamber. At the same time, you will see some tremors. You will see seismic activity in the ground because when magma is moving in the chamber, it causes smaller earthquakes. But those earthquakes are actually quite deep in the ground. You can measure the position of those earthquakes and that gives you an idea what's happening in the ground. If those earthquakes are slowly proceeding towards the surface, so they're actually rising up from the uh, depth to the surface of the volcano, then you assume that the magma is just moving up from the magma chamber to the vent to the actual crater. At the same time, the magma chamber uh, loses some volume, so the uh, surrounding bedrock, the base of the volcano, sinks in slightly. When you have those measures together, then an eruption is imminent. That's something that gives us um, a very clear warning. But those processes, they're not happening within a day or within hours. That sometimes happens within months. So the last volcanic eruption in Iceland that pretty much the whole world still remembers from 2010 that grounded all the air traffic, that has built up over a period of six months. While we have one volcano we are waiting for to erupt, where the forecast time is between 30 and 90 minutes. So you have a big scale of possibilities here, depending on the structure of the geography of a certain volcano. And, and then different I, from volcano to volcano. And then I guess that the majority of this volcano being underwater is not making those observations any easier. Exactly. That's a big point. When you have the vast majority of volcanoes underwater, those uh, monitoring is pretty much not possible. That's just something we then recognize from seismic stations ashore. And when you have seismic stations, for example, on the um, US American Atlantic coast and on the uh, UK Atlantic coast or French Atlantic coast, then you can triangulate the position over a long distance. That gives you some idea, but not very detailed. While when you have um, at the base of the mountain three or four or five seismometers, that gives you a much, much clearer um, idea of where the seismic activity um, originates. 
And the right. same difficulty we have, by the way, also in Antarctica, where you don't have all year round monitoring of all that activity. Yeah, we have with um, Deception Island, for example, a very nice um, place that still has an, kind of an accessibility, but uh, the vast majority of active volcanoes is underneath ice sheets. So we don't have any access to that in a um, yeah in an easy to use way. So it's it's not easy to access that for for scientists to build up their um, instruments and to monitor those volcanoes very uh, closely. So Deception Island is uh, is very um, very much in the middle of the way between Ushuaia and Antarctica. So is that a place that is often being visited with uh, expedition groups, or is this rather a rare place to go to? Um, it's well, Deception Island itself is not that often on our list. Uh, I wish it would would have been on every trip. But it's it's part of the South Shetland Islands, and you have a lot of very beautiful and amazing spots within the South Shetland Islands. So we try to have a broad variety in there, and then of course you try to avoid other ships as well um, to give you a really unique experience. So yeah, it's it's clear that you're not landing on the same spots over and over and over again. Sure. Um, it's not really in the middle. It's um, definitely very closely connected to the south, uh, to the Antarctic Peninsula. But um, yeah, it's the first thing you touch when when you cross the Drake Passage. Th that's yeah. what I mean. It is it is kind of on that line or at least near that line that you would take with a ship anyway. So it's not a big deviation to go there. No, not at all. Um, it, it's rather uh, a deviation when you head, for example, straight for, let's say you have a, a trip that's, that goes to the South Antarctic Circle, um, the South Polar Circle, the Antarctic Circle. Then you're heading past the South Shetlands and you don't touch them at all but usually that's the first or the last stop it really depends on the on the itinerary sometimes it's the first stop sometimes it's the last stop on the way back all right is there anything else noteworthy about Deception Island there's a lot more that's really noteworthy but um, I don't want to make it too complicated it's beautiful for, for geologists I remember I sat down with um, a couple of American geologists and the two of them were really interested in that and we were talking about deception island for quite a while and they were interested because it's um, in the middle of probably the most interesting geological part from a tectonic perspective in the whole of Antarctica because Antarctica is one big plate but the drake passage and especially the bransfield strait in the south shetlands are a big mashup of several small splinters of several small breakups and deception island lies straight on the bransfield through which separates the antarctic plate from the south shetland plate within the scotia range and that's just really amazing um, to see all those different breakups movements in different directions and that's creating that volcanic arch. Deception Island is part of a number of volcanoes, but none of them are active anymore apart from Deception Island. 
All right. So I guess that covers it for this week's uh, geography lesson. Um, <laughs> thank you so much. I mean, this is really stuff that, you know, I've heard about here and there, but I've never really uh, taken the time to look it up, to look into the details. So I always appreciate getting a bit more knowledge from you. And uh, I think we'll continue that in some of the future episodes. Again, if you are inclined to, to throw a little tip in the tip jar, we have one up online. We'll link to that in the show notes. You would tremendously help us if you can. If not, uh, don't feel bad about it. That is fine too. We're, we're going to continue making this no matter what. And uh, yeah, that's it until next week. We'll be back with another interesting topic going further north again. Thanks very much.